Welcome to today's episode of the Design Leadership Podcast, where we will be speaking with Jose DeSantos, currently Head of Design and User Experience of Signify. Jose comes to us with a great deal of experience working for large-scale enterprises, Fortune 500 companies, as well as small agencies and startups alike. Jose has spent a little bit of time in academia in the past and is currently one of a handful of candidates around the world pursuing a PhD in design management. Jose will speak to us regarding his experience, not only from the industry, but also from his recent work and studies around his PhD to better understand, influence, and help integrate design for business at a corporate level and large-scale enterprises. Welcome to today's episode of the Design Leadership Podcast, where we're speaking with Jose Dos Santos. Jose, welcome to the show. Thank you. I saw you pausing there. My name, uh, there's a few people that pronounce it differently. I'm glad I don't get offended by these things, but you said it really well. Thank you. Well, good to know there. Okay, just to kick things off, we always like to know a little bit about your background, your professional journey, and and how you got to where you're at today. Uh, Of course, we'll dig into your current role, but uh, can you share us a little bit about your background? Sure. So Portuguese by nature and by birth. Uh, I was born in Africa, but Portuguese. Industrial designer by training, uh, started working in a large consultancy in Portugal where I was the first industrial designer and then did my master's at the UK at the Centre St. Martins. Then after that, returned uh, and took over the department. I worked there for about eight years. And I'm probably not going to go through every step of the way. The best way to describe is that I've done at least twice of the uh, create your own company kind of stints and then sell it. And it's always an interesting uh, stage of your life when you, when you do everything in a company and you need to, to then scale and grow. I've worked in design consultancies, not only in Portugal, but in Spain. I've jumped out of my comfort zone from uh, what it was then industrial design. It's always been products. For a while, I was uh, chief innovation officer of a, of a web company. And that was an interesting start of a journey into the digital more, the digital domain. And in the last 10 years, I've, I've worked in what is called large companies. So the previous one was a Fortune 500, and this one is, a, is also a large global company. So in the meantime, I've uh, co-started, uh, co- uh, co-founded uh, startup accelerators that grew up to be pretty interesting and important in Portugal. I... I've done some uh, teaching, uh, mostly actually to non-designers in business schools and things like that. And I mentor uh, a few people, which I've been fortunate enough to come across through my life, and I've been mentored. So I'm still uh, learning every day. I still love what I do. And, uh, and design for me uh, means a whole uh, range of things. And that openness to what design can be has led me to uh, some interesting challenges. Very great to hear and an interesting journey you've had. And, and I, I appreciate and echo the fact uh, about a lifelong learner, right? We should never stop learning, especially as we get to the top. Uh, we realize there's much more that we need to know and learn to uh, transcend uh, forward, and especially in, in the world of design where things are evolving so fast. Looks like you had a few different roles from industrial design to digital fronts uh, and, and, uh, and so forth, uh, agencies and large enterprises. Thinking back, at your journey, is there a key memory or uh, a catalyst that stands out to 
define your career journey or maybe bridging the gap from designer to manager or manager to leader? I was fairly uh, early in that first job. Uh, I was the first designer and then the department grew. Uh, this was a, for the time, this was a kind of a branding company, one of those company schools that end up training a lot of the people. We still get together after all these years because um, the company at a certain point had 200 people and was doing all the large company branding which would hit every part of the company. And so therefore products also, there was a very strong branding area and a very strong architectural interior area and then industrial design. So the simple fact of being exposed that early to the whole range of design and how design can play an important part in all the different um, uh, applications was crucial for me. And then when I came back from my master's, they were kind enough to invite me to, uh, to lead the department. And so, Fairly early, I, I was placed with that kind of responsibility, which since then I've kind of enjoyed. I've always wanted to keep uh, my hands slightly dirty uh, in the work. Uh, the more you tend to uh, do in the managerial side, uh, that uh, hands dirty thing uh, keeps being less and less. But, um, but I did that, uh, to be honest, in full, uh, in full awareness. And, and I do like helping uh, designers uh, get to their uh, to their potential helping design uh, make the right impact in companies uh, managing design with designers but also with people that are not in the design arena so uh, like i said i keep doing what i like and the fact that i don't spend uh, you know 4 hours or 6 hours a day doing cad which i used to do for uh, for many years it doesn't necessarily upset me let's put it that way well, it's great to have a, a balance between uh, the doing and the, and the managing and the leading. Uh, circling back to your comment about lifetime learning and continuous learning, I know you shared with me some time ago that you've decided to go back and, and uh, pursue your PhD. Um, can you share with us what triggered that, what motivated you, and, and what is the area of focus or, or concentration in that endeavor? So... Actually, I delivered uh, the paper, the PhD, after four years uh, this last uh, July. Of course, now I'm going through the uh, jury discussions, which will, uh, which will make me still go into it. Uh, and hopefully, if everything goes as planned, in November, December, I'll defend it in public. It was not a normal situation. About 10 years ago, I did think about doing an MBA. I had a few conversations with, um, with some folks, and one of them, uh, one of my longtime uh, mentors, who kind of told me that, look, Jose, if you want to do this because you think you're going to belong uh, to the club, the so-called the club, just because you do an MBA, you're never going to belong to that club. Because, you know, thankfully, you're different, you'll always be different. And so you should work with that difference instead of trying to do an MBA for that reason. And so at that point, it was an interesting piece of advice. And I forgot about that. But then if, uh, four or uh, five years ago, um, my alma mater in Portugal, uh, invited me to do an, a PhD. And I said, you know, why should I do that? I have no, uh, no academic ambitions. But the, the person in, in charge of the department said something really interesting, which if you have a topic that you're passionate about, a PhD will introduce some rigor and some peer review and some deadlines because you're paying for it. And so if you really want to study something a little bit more deeper, then a PhD is a good way to go. If you just want to, to do a checkbox kind of thing, maybe the PhD, it's, it's not the good thing, but if you have that, and since I did have, and I do have a passion, which is design leadership, 
my thesis has been uh, focused on design leadership in large corporations, which has also been something that I've been living um, in my own uh, career, and I'm uh, interested and, and curious and decided to study that, and namely um, the, the basic uh, question, kind of a teaser that I've used for my PhD has been, why aren't there more trained designers in the top 50, um, you know, Fortune 500? And that has led me to um, to write um, a thesis about the uh, answers or hypotheses or different uh, nuances uh, to that question. Very exciting, very interesting, and of course, very curious to see what is going to be shared out of that dissertation and, and study. So, um, applaud you and commend you on that commitment. We know it's uh, it's not easy. Spoke to a lot of design leaders who do go back for the MBA so they can be more let's say, um, respected by their peers to be in the boardrooms in the business. You went the, uh, the other way, which is a PhD, which is a huge commitment. So looking back on, on that, uh, would you recommend for other design leaders to maybe pursue in that area? Mm, I, there's a, there is a lack of PhDs. There's a lack of research, deep research uh, in design, particularly in design management and in particularly in design leadership. Um, the Design Management Institute, of course, does a great job at, at, at supporting a lot of the activities around that domain. And they do have an academic uh, conference, which, by the way, I presented a kind of a draft paper of my thesis there, along with a lot of other people that are uh, academics, and they do a, a lot more uh, thorough work at, at, at writing um, theses and papers. But there is a lack, from my point of view, there is a lack of um, research, deep research by designers around our own uh, profession and around design leadership. And then we have companies like, of course, McKinsey and others that step into this arena and they do their own research and come out with results. And it's interestingly enough that people find it like very, you know, they find it very uh, revealing all the data and et cetera. But the reality is a lot of that is out there. It's been out there for a long time. For people like you that are in the business that you are, probably, uh, you know, what McKinsey came out and said was uh, not a surprise at all, but suddenly because it's McKinsey saying it, then for a lot of people that carries a different weight. If I I did inv- I did talk to uh, uh, three to four uh, uh, designers that at a particular time in their lives uh, did an MBA, and I, uh, among other questions, I asked them, you know, looking back, was it worth? And the, uh, nearly all of them said that there was one thing that, of course, they, they appreciate that they still maintain after all these years, which is networks and the networks of people that uh, were not designers. So they all explained the experience of being um, the ugly duckling in the room in the sense that being the, either the only designer or out of a large group or two or three people and having to uh, prove their way f- through. Um, so they appreciate the networks. but. Um, None of them really said that the MBA allowed them to get to a position of the boardroom that they appreciate. Or in the case of one gentleman, he did get there, but he was really frustrated with what he found and he, and he, and he went away. So in a certain way, he got what he wanted, but then it wasn't exactly what he wanted. So if I had to give a piece of advice, I would say, if you have to choose between the MBA or the PhD, just ask yourself what why do you want any of those things? And, and if it's out of respect or if your peers, I still have to find uh, people that have, uh, in a very uh, 
substantial way uh, proven to me that just by having an MBA will get you into a certain uh, group of people. I think the people that end up in boardrooms and end up uh, in senior management, they do it out of a number of, of skills and capabilities and talents that go uh, uh, far beyond doing an MBA. Now, if you ask me, will an MBA help them if they are already special? Of course. The issue is when when you might not have all the other capabilities and talents or you're not really able or willing to invest in them, and then you think the MBA will do the trick. So I would advise caution there, even though today MBAs are not the price that they used to be and there's some, there are different ways of doing an MBA and some of them Someone might question if it's even worth doing an MBA that's not an MBA, but okay. But in reality, what I would caution is just question yourself. Why is it that you think you want an MBA? And be brutally honest to yourself about what is it that you think you want. In my case, like I said, I do want it to study. The thesis is just the beginning. I don't think that I've done everything that I wanted to do in the topic. But uh, the PhD did allow me to have a certain type of structure rigor, a peer review, and it, it just taught me to have some discipline in writing, which to be honest, I didn't have. And so, and there's no way around it. So either you do end up gaining that discipline or you're in trouble. Well, again, uh, highly respect and applaud you for those efforts. And um, I think uh, a lot of designers think that the MBA is a ticket to the boardroom, not always the case. And as you said, sometimes when we get there, it's not always what we envisioned it to be and kind of that uh, be careful what you ask for approach. So I know that this, uh, this study was done above and beyond, let's say your, your day job, which is of course quite uh, demanding and uh, uh, um, robust as well. So can you tell us a little bit about your current role and how design is helping to drive success in that organization? So I, I stepped into this organization four years ago, and it was in transition, and I knew the transition that was going on. It was going, coming from Philips as a spinoff of Philips, the large Philips Corporation, into what first was Philips Lighting, and then became Signify. So I, I, I came into an organization working for a gentleman that I've known for 15 years, who's my boss. And so that helped when he reached out to me. We had already a certain type of relationship uh, even coming back from being part of the advisory council at the, the DMI in Europe. And so, and also coming into an organization that had, has, uh, you know, 120, 130 years of, of, uh, of as a company and, and over, I believe, 90 years of structured design. And so, you know, one of the first companies to have a chief design officer. And so I have no doubt that design was important for this company. And also that there was quite a lot of uh, legacy and, and, and structure around design. And it's got a, a, there's a good thing and a bad thing about it. I've never worked in an organization where there was so much thorough understanding of design throughout the organization where everybody in a certain way is a designer and sees themselves as a designer. And that's because design permeates every bit of the industry, of the organization on the other. And that of course, sometimes uh, makes it, um, harder for design to really uh, have a position of knowledge uh, and of, of decision-making. But on the other side, of course, it's fantastic because it's an organization that's filled with design champions that you can really um, take along many of the journeys. So I had design in the Americas. There's three, uh, let's say, markets, regions. Uh, of course, Europe, uh, 
Americas and Asia. Um, so there's uh, three of us that um, respond to the uh, chief design officer in an organization that is today uh, Signify is the leader, the global leader in lighting. And lighting has evolved from, uh, uh, let's call it conventional lighting into LED lighting and now into connected lighting. And all of that uh, with a company that's been proving uh, uh, to be resilient as the transformations go on and even uh, all the sustainability requirements and expectations. I think the company has responded well to all these challenges. Very exciting to hear. And I think, uh, yeah, there's always pros and cons of everything, but coming out of the Philips organization that from the outside world is a, let's say a design leader, uh, a design centric organization certainly helps things. Uh, but I know there's always challenges and uh, seeing um, Philips lighting going from the traditional products to services and to digitalization. Without going into details, of course, can you share with us some of the bigger challenges that you face in your role? Around. Well, the, the reality is that we're an organization that's got two very uh, strong drivers. One, of course, is hardware. I mean, we are, for all effects, uh, a, a very strong hardware manufacturer, you know, from light bulbs to luminaires and any, everything that is connected to that. So there's a very strong tradition in that and probably a little less in, in digital products. A few years ago, a spin-off within uh, Philips, within Signify, uh, uh, which is the case of Hue, for the consumer, for the home started. And that was probably one of the first business that uh, showed how important it was to have a completely digital path uh, in order to, you know, to be in lighting. So Philips Hue is a good example that, of course, the lighting is, is the central uh, piece and it's a very important thing, but it's a little bit like, um, like Apple with you know, with the hardware and the iTunes or the Apple Store. Uh, one thing without the other would probably fail. And in this case, the digital backbone of Hue is, is probably just as important, if not, than everything that has to do with hardware. Now, in, in the professional world, uh, lighting uh, being uh, LEDs are, uh, you know, deep down, they're just a, an electronic component. They're, they're a PCB which means that in that you can put a lot of hardware and you connect it. You can connect it um, in many different ways, you know, uh, through Wi-Fi cable, this and that. And then you can give it capabilities and those capabilities can have sensors and can also uh, connect to central systems. Now you have to be careful to do all of that for the right reasons. And so and that's one thing that I like that I'm in a corporation that is strongly ethical and so, you know, like we have a lot of sensors in our products, but we don't have cameras because, you know, it's a situation where people, they drew the line. And so in reality, today, lighting is connected and everything is connected or, or connectable. And then it's got to connect to something. And then that something has got to be doing something for people that people value and want. And so um, it's not that lighting can count uh, people circulating in a space. And it's very good at doing that. Uh, um, it, it allows you to define if the person is uh, facing in one direction or the other. It doesn't know if it's John or, or Jill, but it, it knows that there's people there and where they're facing and how they're circulating the space. And that's like, okay, that's great, but what is that for? What can we do with that that makes sense? And then suddenly sometimes, you know, um, reality throws a curveball at you and, and, and you have to deal with it, which is right now COVID. And now suddenly uh, lighting can help you 
manage the distance between people and can, uh, can uh, through warning systems, can help you navigate, you know, the six feet apart. But this is something, this is a, a, an example of a great application of a capability that uh, in, depending on the context, it might be more or less useful. So it's not about what lighting can do, it's what it can do for people and, and, and how important is that for their livelihoods. So this is the challenge right now. It's having this incredible platform uh, between uh, lighting, connectivity, and data, uh, which is permeable, which is ubiquitous, and it's everywhere, you know, from all the, the, the places that where lighting is. But knowing what to do with it, what to make sense, how to structure it, how to organize it, how to, how to, how to give it to people in a way that they can understand it, use it. So that is like it's a, it's a great challenge and it's an ongoing challenge and it will continue for, for a long, long time. Yeah. So it seems that uh, design has kind of got its, uh, its um, influence in many of those elements uh, from hardware to services to digitalization. And while it seems to, of course, help to have a uh, chief design officer uh, at the helm, how do you help convince the business or the organization to invest in design if needed to, to kind of be that integrator on these, these different elements? Is that a situation that you deal with or inherently, again, coming from Philips, a design-centric organization, design is, is, let's say, that strategic partner to the business? Well, design is a strategic partner to the business and design is seen by many as 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 a differentiated element, but also something that it's at the core of what Signify does with the Phillips tradition. We can always be critics, and also the reality is people tend to sometimes think that the grass is always greener in, you know, in somebody else's uh, garden. In reality, I do think that design plays a core uh, element in the strategy of the organization. It permeates every uh, part of the organization. If you ask me if we could be doing better and if there could be a better, uh, more investment and more engagement with design in the different fronts, there, there can always be improvement. And that's also the reason why you stick around in an organization, which is to make sure that you're a part of that improvement. But right now, I'm fairly happy with what I see happening in the, in the organization where we are brought to the table, not only for uh, you know, the most uh, trivial examples of shaping product and shaping, in this case, product, be it both hardware and software, but also in conversations that are more into the innovation, into thinking into the future, into exploring different possibilities, different contexts and scenarios. Uh, design is integrated in, in, if not all, in quite a lot of this. There is a continuous need to, in a certain way, to prove to show, show me the money, you know, show the value of design. And that is something that I don't think that there's any organization that can say that they, that they don't have to do. The bigger the organization, you might say the bigger the budgets, but also the bigger the challenges that you have in order to get to those budgets. Budgets are always finite, as uh, people will tell you, uh, even in large organizations where we think uh, there might be more, uh, you know, more capital. But in reality, uh, design, the designers, the managers, uh, the chief design officer, and everybody in the, in the organization, in the design organization, is pushed every single day to show the value of design, the value of design in practical terms. 
uh, the value of design in the business, in the products, in the solutions that we do and that we engage with. And this is, of course, in an ever-changing environment, now more than ever probably, uh, and also um, in a very agile, let's call it, format, because organizations, they always want to uh, be faster, and uh, the reality of the market also compels us to try and improve uh, speed at the same time as we uh, invest and innovate in the right things. So it's great. It's, it's challenging. There's always room for improvement. But I do think, and sometimes uh, through my thesis, I did engage with a lot of different uh, designers and design managers in different organizations. And the reality is when you get down to it, there's always, I think in every organization, there's always room for improvement. And design will always have something to, let's call it, to complain about because in reality, no matter how sophisticated, educated, mature the organization is about design, when you put them in that so-called ladder, the maturity ladder, the reality is that there's always room for improvement. Yeah. And I think back to the earlier comment, be careful what we ask for. So if we want more scope, more budget, more responsibility, then we have to show more value or show the value. So we know some great things are happening in your organization and look forward to seeing uh, uh, some advancements in the area of lighting and connected services and all that great work that you and the team are doing. You know, going back to the PhD and just your experience in general, uh, I think needless to say, we've seen design really elevate itself over the past decades from the traditional, you know, say, uh, graphic and industrial design to today, all these different disciplines. Uh, in your experience and in your personal opinion, where do you see uh, the biggest opportunities or the future role of design in the coming years or maybe the next decade? Where, where is design headed? <laughs> yeah, crystal ball gazing is always an interesting exercise, um, but also a completely ineffective one because the world is changing in such a way that I doubt if anybody uh, can sit comfortably today and talk about what they think it's going to happen to design the next 10 years. What, what I know is much more based on what you see and you, and you engage with on an everyday basis, which is all the efforts that were done through design thinking dissemination throughout organizations have in a certain way uh, uh, been so fruitful that now they've become for many a, a pandemic, a, a real problem. <laughs> The word pandemic now, we need to be careful with the use because it's been abused, but okay. For a lot of people, they hate what's happened with design thinking and organizations. For others, they think that that's, that's actually a very good thing and that has led organizations to, to, to drive more thoroughly the future of design. So you have on one side that. On the other, you have this thing that you've just said, which which is interesting, but at the same time, very challenging, which is these breaking of design into many different specializations and sometimes going to very infinite levels. Um, I mean, people used to make fun that a car designer might spend, you know, 10 years of their lives designing a component of the door of the car. And, and they used to think that that was crazy, but now a lot of the industry is also creating that level of specialization. And because designers are not the most cooperative folks in the entire world, that that can create a fractured reality of design, which uh, we will all be here to see what's the real impact of it. Uh, and then the reality of the digital domain has led to a lot of people uh, being in, in UX, UI, coming in from many different areas and exercising design in the fourth, you know, 
in digital tools and domains and, and areas. And, and not all of it is, first, not all of it is for the right reasons. And above all, a lot of this has already been, there's already a, a lot of history in a lot of these areas, and there's proven heuristics, and there's things that people know how to do. And so the ability to to really impact in that domain comes much more of connecting the dots in the back than what you're capable of doing in the front with your digital experience. It's true that a truly beautiful digital experience is still something that, you know, that impacts you, you know, and it, it travels through your body and it, it creates this uh, love and this adoption by love, which is, which is fantastic. And design always has an incredible role in there. But in reality, the, the, it is the combination of all the links and all the bridges and all the handshakes of that digital solution through the corporation, uh, allowing things not only to be, uh, to be done on the digital domain, but then everything else that has to do with, with how you are treated when you're on the phone or how you get your products and, and how you return them if you don't want them. So the... The, the breadth of where design needs to be and act so that it really is effective has grown and it has grown into areas where there's a lot of sophistication and also a lot of different professionals. And sometimes they appreciate design, sometimes they don't. And so the, what I see happening to design is this pulling apart of design and fracturing of design will continue to happen forcing design and designers to question themselves much more about what makes them um, uh, designers and what makes them want to be in design and to actually get together and understand how can we support each other in connecting the dots between the different types of experiences. So this for me is probably the only thing that I can say thinking forward as the biggest challenge, but at the same time opportunity for design and designers, which is to, to question themselves, what is it that they want out of design and to be able to prove that sometimes much more um, in a much more collaborative way than we've done in the past. And that's going to expose a lot of people that suddenly they're not going to love design in that way. And they're not going to feel that they are uh, respected designers in that context. And But the reality is that it's going to be a multidisciplinary, multitask a multi-challenge, multi-level design world. And that's going to be, for some, it's going to be thrilling and exciting. And for others, it's going to be really challenging because they no longer have that situation where they can either control a large part of what goes out or be so good at one thing that by just doing that, they can guarantee the success of that design. And that's also why a lot of people are now going into smaller Cycles, smaller productions, you know, opening up your own shop, craft, hands-on, that will also grow and glow. You know, Norman, Donald Norman said, if you find a fork in a road, take it, <laughs> in the sense that you're going to have to, but we're going to have to do both realities, and those both realities are going to have to coexist. Yeah, interesting insights there, and, and uh, you know, the, the cliche from, from Don Norman, uh, of taking the fork in the road and to your comment earlier about the crystal ball, nobody knows the future, but I think as designers, we have that opportunity to create the future, right? The best way to predict the future is to create it, which I think, you know, uh, 
no. The, the problem is everything. I would say co-created, <laughs> and that's part of the challenge. It's going to be a co-created future yeah. more and more, and each time more. Um, I mean, the, when you look back at the future that some of our uh, peers, you know, the Raymond Lowe's and the, and, and, and the IBM folks and the John Deere folks, all these folks in the past, they created a future. They had the future itself was so open for them to be so impactful and so at the same time deep and wide in the way they created that future. The world now, it's much more blown up into pieces. And so it's, it's an interesting time and it's an interesting challenge for designers. Yeah. Um, just to tie back a little bit to the work you're doing with your PhD, uh, some of the work that's coming out of the, the big consultancies, the McKinsey's, the Accenture's, and of course, some of the work we've been doing over the past few decades to kind of elevate design to business and, uh, and your, your thesis around why are not more designers in the boardroom, do you see or do you advocate that design is playing much more of a role in business at the leadership level in the boardrooms? Is What's your thoughts around that moving forward? Mm. I have to be uh, uh, slightly critical when people say there have been developments. And, and, and in reality, yes, we have evolved a lot. And, and in a lot of ways, the, the importance of design in corporations and in large corporations has evolved. But when you look at the data of how many chief design officers or trained designers in the top 50, um, my last count was one. Uh, of course, I'm talking about N minus one, which is, you know, responding directly to the CEO. And sometimes these are very large corporations. So being N minus two, N minus three, N minus four is still a big deal. And, and you still probably command a lot of effort. And, and it's true that uh, I counted at least 27 people in N minus two. Uh, and of those 27 from my math, I think uh, at least 16 of them were design trained. So somebody could say that's not too bad. But when you look back at some of these large corporations and at the, the role, the responsibility, and the power that some of these people had in the past, I'm not sure that we are in a very much better place, let's call it that. And the reason is because the markets have become a lot more competitive. These companies have become a lot more short-termist because of the, the way they are organized that to show their results on a quarterly basis in you know if they're public which of course is the case and so I mean Mr. Ive left and went back to his to do a, a small thing which is probably making him very happy there's several examples of, of um, a still very successful uh, uh, let's say chief design officers that are responding to CEOs but in a lot of cases uh, the best examples come from small and mid-sized companies that start by being design-led. Uh, and so designers stay uh, within the, let's call it the boardroom of those companies until a certain point. But I actually haven't done that research because it was not my focus. But it would be great to go and research of how many of those companies that did start with designers at the helm. And when they scaled, if the designers stayed in that role or if they backed up into a different role or left. We know that in certain cases, they're still there, you know, Airbnb and this and that. But in some other cases, it would be interesting to find out. So I don't think that the reality right now is dramatically better than it was uh, maybe 40, 50 years ago. There's been a lot of very positive change. But I've talked to some people that are very critical and people that have been around for a while to have a very good memory. And they're saying that 
this issue of understanding the real value of design, the breadth and the depth of design, and uh, being bold enough to actually uh, um, invite design to the boardroom, and why not a designer? This is still not something that we are seeing as much as we should probably see. And so in a certain way, the challenge is still there. And it will come down in a lot of cases. It needs to come down to the designers wanting. And this is probably one of the things that I found more, um, let's say, central to my thesis, is that the reality is that large companies and big money and big capital and, and the big politics of large companies are not something that a lot of designers want to be a part of. So be it, be it you know, the fox looking at the grapes and saying, I don't, you know, they don't look good and I don't want them. So be it that or be it the real fact that a lot of designers do not want, do not aspire, do not, um, do not work for, do not, uh, you know, want that position. That, that, of course, turns into an issue because, that should be where it starts. If, if a designer does not want and does not work for, because many times it takes quite a while for you to get there, so you need to make those calls, those decisions pretty early in your life, and you need to then pay attention to what you are doing and uh, uh, so that in a certain way, so that you are in a position that you're going to be invited. But in reality, if you, if you, don't, if you don't start by wanting it, uh, the majority of times that that's very hard. So there are cases, and today, you know, everybody talks about Logitech and how, Alice, there is the new partnership between, uh, uh, you know, a CEO and a, and a chief design officer and this and that. But I don't think that there's enough uh, examples out there to say that we are in a much better shape. Yeah, very interesting uh, perspective. And, of course, uh, we'll see how this evolves. But, uh, of course, fully echo your, your sentiment earlier of, of we have to want that as a design community. And I think most of us that started the design careers because we enjoyed the, the artifact, uh, the creation, and, and slowly but surely kind of get uh, pulled into the business aspect, which is, which is maybe not what we originally signed up for, but something that's needed if we really want to, to push the organization forward. You mentioned earlier about uh, some of the, the roles of design in your current organization around sustainability. Of course, uh, products are produced and, and end up somewhere in the world. And we see, of course, uh, hopefully not a trend, but the new status quo around uh, companies being more eco-conscious, uh, sustainability, a driving factor, also what uh, is known as the triple bottom line, uh, environmental as well as social issues. What's your thought on design trying to take on some of those larger, complex, uh, as we know, wicked problems in the world? Is that something you feel is, is a, a, a depth for design or a little bit too much at this point? To be honest, I think design has, has been faced always with this kind of um, two sides of the coin that makes us be uh, torn apart, which is serving consumerism. Uh, and, and many of us are in the business of, of, or have been in the business of creating artifacts, creating solutions, creating consumables and, and, and assets for consumption. And on the other side, doing everything that we can and everything that we should do you know, to create a much more sustainable future. I'm, I'm glad, I'm, I mean, Signify has just commemorated the fact that right now, a few weeks ago, we just became carbon neutral as a global organization, which, I mean, Apple's aiming for that to 2035, and we did it now. And, and soon enough, a week after, 
our chief sustainability officer went forward and created new goals for 2025, which are even more demanding. So, okay, great. Uh, in, in our case, we have a lot of situations where sustainability and, and, and everything that is attached to it only works if it's embedded into every single process that you do. And so we, we try to make sure that in every process that we do from manufacturing, but also from, a, from the designing and product development side, that uh, all the attention to sustainability and uh, to life cycle management and to uh, circular economy, everything that we know, everything that the world tells us that it's embedded because the reality is that it's fairly easy to adopt a business as usual or legacy or a history approach and not having enough attention to the details. And many times it is uh, about the details that you end up making these uh, big moves. And so that is something that and for us, an organization that works in the LED domain and also connectivity, so suddenly a lot of this is, is going to help us uh, navigate that future a little bit more in a more interesting manner. And then, of course, you have the whole alternative energies coming forth and how a lot of uh, that might power uh, the lighting of the future and the connectivity of the future from solar to many different solutions. So we're in a business in an industry where this is going to be always a part of what we do, and that's a great thing. For designers themselves, I usually say jokingly that sustainability is always an interesting topic until you talk about color finish and material. You know, the moment you go into color finish and material and you have to make choices about that, you know, you tend to have to make decisions about what you are doing, which sometimes are not as easy as, as you were trained to uh, when you were a designer in the beginning. This is, of course, very much uh, focused on industrial design and products, which we still do out there. But if you want to do true, you know, life cycle management, if you want to do true um, circular economy uh, activity, if you want to be an agent that is truly responsible and ethical from one side to the other side, then you do have to make a lot of decisions as you design on a daily basis. Some people think that today designing for digital is like a completely green and sustainable activity. There are quite a lot of buy situations that, uh, that make that, that activity by itself. is Because, I mean, people will continue to need then more and more gadgets in order to be online and to be on their, uh, on their screens, you know, if you're going to do everything on a screen. And, and of course, we know uh, because our friends from... Apple and others have continuously showing us, which is there will be a continuous pour of interfaces of hardware to allow us to engage with all this digital domain. And so those, the pressure for doing those micro design decisions uh, that are relevant, that are sustainable at the core, uh, and that they are systemic, that pressure will continue. I think designers have failed quite a lot of the, if this is a moving train, I don't think we've, we were able to get on the, on the first carriages of this moving train at any time, you know, since cradle to cradle to now. And so the reality is we still need to prove to ourselves that we're capable of uh, putting our, um, in this case, our design where our mouth is uh, and really show that we're capable of, to do all those micro decisions that will be relevant enough to have an impact 
in sustainability in, in everything that we do from hardware to digital. So I think, I think we've done some stuff. I think we can do more stuff. But above all, it's a, it's a mindset thing that needs to, it's a mindset and culture thing around design. And, you know, you see what that's happening to the fashion world and to different worlds that are, that are mandated right now to, to take a hard look at themselves and what they're doing. And so designers will, we are, like I usually say, part of the problem and part of the solution. So hopefully in this next uh, you know, 30 to 50 years, we will become a lot more part of the solution than we have been. Some great insights and perspectives and um, um, very interesting, of course, where, where the community's headed. And uh, I think if we're at the helm, we're, we're able to drive in that direction. You mentioned before, you know, the basics about designers having to want it, right? Uh, having to want that leadership role to connect with business, having to want a role in sustainability, whatever that looks like. So in addition to the great insights you shared in closing, uh, Jose, any advice out there for the listeners who want to advance and uh, elevate their careers in design leadership and uh, maybe how to also elevate it in their organizations, so personally and in their role to take design further? I'm I'm a big fan of craft and and I've always loved the uh, the uh, small is beautiful uh, kind of mantra and I do think that the world will continue to uh, to be and probably even stronger the more push we have to industrialization and to massification of industry but now all the challenges of, of becoming again a, a lot of the production manufacturing probably is going to change borders, change countries and become more local and this and that. Uh, and a lot of it will be done through small manufacturing, etc. So craft and small is beautiful is fantastic. My pitch to designers has been go big, dream big, go to aim for the large companies, aim for the large organizations, try to make change at a very big scale, at a macro scale, think systemic, don't be afraid to engage in, in thinking and in mapping uh, uh, large systems and understanding where could design value, uh, add value and also transform and take that challenge because the reality is these large corporations, I made a little bit of math and these the top 500 corporations may impact up to half a million, if not more of designers in a direct way. And this is not counting with everybody that they impact via agencies and, and freelancers. So these large organizations throughout the world, they, they carry a, an immense weight uh, in the design world. And so uh, if we are there and if we are in large numbers as part of these organizations, then we need to be able to be bold and to be also to be prepared so that we uh, think about uh, gaining more responsibility and proving that you're capable of going up that, uh, let's call it that ladder. But my pitch to designers has been grow big because the, the challenges are bigger. Uh, the, some of these large corporations are substituting themselves in terms of the government even. We, need, we now see that in, in climate change, you know, uh, corporations associating themselves to, uh, to change the course of climate change is and adopting uh, you know the green deal uh, measures and this and that are proving that more and more these large corporations will have a role and i'd love to see i think we need to see we need to aspire and we need to work for it to have design 
uh, dead center in those movements and as high as possible to be able to have the right conversations at the right time with the right people. So we will need both, but my pitch has been, has been basically to push designers to get out of their comfort zone, learn the languages, learn, learn the manner, learn the relationship, do the work, do the detail, go deep, but at the same time, go big. I love it. In closing, I think those are, are great words. Go big, right? It goes back to ambitions and, and, uh, and what we want. But if we go big, then we certainly can drive change. So, uh, Jose, we look forward to seeing some uh, more amazing work out of your team and your organization, and also to see the work and influence coming out of your, your PhD study. So, uh, thanks again for taking the time to speak with us and share your insights. And, um, and hopefully uh, um, we will cross paths again ourselves here when we get back to the, the new normal. I'm sure we will. Thanks, Jay. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for this session of the Design Leadership Podcast. I do hope that you gained some valuable insights and inspiration to help further you along in your path in design leadership. If you would like to learn more on how myself and my colleagues have helped to empower design leaders for the past 22 years through consulting, coaching, educating, and uniting design leaders across the globe, please check out our suite of services found online at empowering.design. I wish you the best of success in your design leadership journey and pursuit of design excellence. Be well and stay safe.